You're listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense with your host, Doug Thorpe. Here's Doug. Hello again, everyone. This is Doug Thorpe, and you're listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense. We've got a power-packed episode to help you as a leader do more, probably with less. That's kind of a common uh, requirement for many today. But nonetheless, we're committed to helping you find better, more commonsensical ideas for being a better leader. My guest today is a gentleman named Jay Williams. Jay, welcome to the show. I'm excited. Thank you, first of all. And I'm excited just based on our preliminary chats to uh, to do this in front of an audience. So Jay and I had had prepped and, and we are going to center on something about managing from the middle or in the middle. And for those of you in slightly larger organizations, that may well be your challenge. But I, we're not going to camp on that for too long because the, the honest and uh, I should say the honest reality of things is it doesn't much matter what level you're on, your challenge to be a better leader has some very common things. And if you're at the start of your management leadership journey, you're probably looking up at the guy that's done 20 or 30 years ahead of you and said, yeah, he has no idea what I'm dealing with. Well, I'm going to promise you he does. <laughs> Whether he's good at communicating it or sharing it or empathizing, that's another story. But I promise you he's been there and he knows exactly what you're dealing with. But if you need help, it's a matter of, of working through it. But but before I lead the witness too far, Jay, uh, give us a little bit of your backstory. How have you gotten into doing what you do? Uh, let me start. Maybe those who are listening can relate to this. It was by accident. It wasn't intentionally. As a little kid, I did not know you could do this type of work. Uh, it really started as, as working for an organization as in a leadership role and I wasn't happy at what I was doing in, in my role. And I I was good at it, though. And for anybody who's listening, sometimes we mistake competence for our zone of genius, for lack of better terms. And so, you know, the feedback was that uh, I was good at this role. What I didn't like about the role was I, I didn't enjoy uh, holding being responsible for other people, to be honest with you. That's the part I didn't enjoy in their performance and that impacting me. The part I did enjoy was communicating very complex concepts, the feedback, that I could simplify it and became very simple for people. And I enjoyed this coaching and this development and this educational piece. And so I share that with you because in the organization, they had me speaking, um, not only to the employees, they would ask me to do it, but they also asked me to speak to clients. And so to ask, answer your question, one of the clients said, hey, we'd love to have you come speak to our team. I said, oh, I'd love to. They said, how much do you charge? And in my head, I thought, oh, you'll pay me for this. So that's how I got started quite by accident. Along the way though, I, I realized what I had a passion for was helping with communication and helping with collaboration. And even a large part of it helping with conflict uh, resolution, not creating it, Doug, but resolving it. And that's really what led me to where 
uh, I am today. And so I, I work with small to mid-sized companies. I also work with large companies. And, you know, if we're chatting, something that I love about small to mid-sized companies is um, nobody can hide, really. Everybody is, is the, their contribution plays an integral part. And so there's a, a commitment level that I really enjoy and every because everybody feels valued and knows that they play an integral part and they want to get better at that. And so in a small to mid-sized company or companies that are new and growing and launching is where I spend a majority of my time. And again, it's not to demonize larger companies. I, I do work there as well. I just enjoy that small to mid-sized company so hopefully well, you were, answered your question there no you packed a lot in there and thank you uh i the one thing i want to start with is your your statement in the smaller to mid-sized companies people can't hide and, and i i love that idea and as ominous as that may sound I, again i think it's a kind of reality that owners and founders of those businesses struggle with because resources may be scarce and you can only afford so many slots in your org chart. So you've really got to rely on everyone that's on the payroll to really be carrying their appropriate share of the load. And when someone shirks some of that duty or, or doesn't show up in their best self, it, it, it becomes a very direct problem that can fall immediately to the bottom line of that business. And a lot of times where I see it happening is uh, companies, and I'm, I'm thinking specifically of home service type businesses, you know, electricians, plumbers, etc. When those guys go out on jobs, there's it's time and materials is the big variable in those jobs. And if the work is not done right the first time, you're going to get a call back. And as soon as you get that call back, that's when your margin just evaporates. You, you have no margin in that particular job anymore. And if if four out of five of the jobs you go out on end up that way, you have no margin in your business. You're doing your work as a charity to your customers. <laughs> and it, it's sometimes hard for those who lead those kind of teams to understand that and, and really get a, a solid grasp on what that means. And so we, we get into the challenge of how do you lead, inspire, and motivate those people to do the right thing the first time. And, uh, and, and when we were in the green room, we were talking about the subject of feedback, you know, being able to give feedback and have it be constructive, not combative. It's a fun topic, so I'll jump right in, and I'd certainly like to hear your perspective. And uh, if it's different, it only drives the conversation That's deeper right. for That's me. Sure. So I'd love, I'd love to hear that. I think when you talk about feedback, uh, I, I, I have this program that I call the F bomb, and you know, F bomb has a connotation all to itself—the word that begins with F and ends in K—and so it's probably not the first word <laughs> our listeners are listening to. It's feedback. And what I would really uh, invite everyone to is that they, 
and the feedback is early and often. And it's one thing if you're taking notes. And the second is that feedback generally, we do work around how to give feedback, and, and which I think is important. What I think is even more important is developing a culture that asks for feedback. It'll make giving feedback even easier. And so, you know, you gave the example of the, the, the home services person who goes out and, you know, for some reason, the service is not what that client expected or wanted. And now there's a second call. That can be um, avoided or minimized if you were getting feedback and if it was instant feedback. And so I think the first thing with feedback that's important is that you shift people's thinking as it relates to feedback. And so without giving you a four-hour workshop, my primary goal in the beginning is to understand people's thinking about feedback. And then second, to give them a new working definition, or it may even be one they have. So it's not fair to say new, but a working one. And this is the definition that I offer up to them. The feedback is simply information and data to improve your performance for that person. And so it's a short statement, but when you just dissect it, if feedback's information and data, then generally when we look at information data, especially from a scientific perspective, there's not judgment, so to speak. It's just information and it's data. And then it's to improve your performance. And so any information that your client, your peer, a coworker is gonna give you, is simply information and data to improve your performance. So in theory, hopefully their thinking and their emotions are beginning to change because somebody's gonna give you this uh, insight into how you can be better. And studies have validated that people derive intrinsic satisfaction out of getting better at things. Now there's the exceptions, I'm sure everyone has them in their life. I hope that's not in your workforce, but that may exist. The majority of people, the studies validate, derive some satisfaction. So now you're helping people by giving them this information data. The third component is that it's for that person. And so it doesn't have to be universally true. And sometimes we dissect it and they go, well, is the feedback true? Is it accurate? And what I'm inviting people to do is to remove judgment and to remove emotion from feedback. And so I'll give you an example um, in just a moment here. And so for some of you who are listening, I, there will be exceptions where judgment is required. I'm just saying on, on, a, on a higher level, what if your people could get this information data to improve their performance for that person with no judgment or emotion? And so let me pause there. I'd love to give you an example, or if you have a question or comment, you can throw that in. Yeah, I I think the the flow of work, I guess, is what I'll start with by calling it that. Is from a leadership perspective, I was sharing with you again in the green room a, a situation that, ironically, just happened with me yesterday and one of my coaching clients. We were talking about 
his somewhat frustration in being able to create the right level of accountability in his organization. And as we dove in and dissected his perception of the problem, what was stated was he thinks he does a good job of casting a vision and getting everybody's alignment and understanding of it. And yet when it goes to execution and, and that meaning the task by task assignment of getting the work done and in achieving that vision, that's where some breaks begin to happen. People either don't operate fast enough or what they end up producing is in fact not in alignment with the vision. So there's a little bit of a recalibration and do over kind of thing. And so it was, you know, in his mind, a, a frustrating process on the how you get there. And we, we didn't specifically talk in terms of feedback, but we ended up kind of going there anyway. And that was, okay, when it starts to look like someone is missing a deliverable or missing a deadline or just outright not delivering on a task that would contribute to the success, how do you have that discussion? What do you do? Where do you go? So let's go talk ahead. about it. No, let's yeah. uh, talk about it. Is uh, so. Let me give you an example of where feedback comes into play and how it touches everything. So one of the things he said is, I he thinks that he was clear on his uh, vision, and I'm not critiquing this gentleman. It's just a, a working yeah. example. So I would ask. Um, what are you doing to validate your thinking? That would be the first question because not all our thoughts are true. He may have thought he was clear and, and based on his filters, he was. And so there's an opportunity for a leader to say, hey, I want to get some feedback, some information and data from you on the, the, the vision. So one of the things that you shared is he said it wasn't happening fast enough. So one of the things if you were going to, and this is with change management with vision, is I want to get some feedback, I want to get some thinking. So if we're talking about this vision, what would be your thoughts on a time frame that we could set for ourselves? So one of the things that you mentioned is it wasn't fast enough. So if initially he got their thinking on what the time frame is, it would, with this information and data, allow him to make real-time adjustments. Um, the end result wasn't what he wanted. So as an example, you'd say, hey, I've laid out this vision. What are some of the end results? What are some of the outcomes? What are some of the products that you guys come to mind for you that we could commit to as a team? And so that's an example of informal feedback. We've, we generally think of it being a form or a survey or a one-on-one. -on -one. This can happen informally in a conversation like you and I just had, or it can happen in a, a formal process. And so, you know, you, you think you go back to the home services person, when they got done, if they had said, hey, here, here's what I did here today based on what your request was, give me some feedback on how you're feeling about the service today. Give me your feedback on how well you think this addresses. If they gotten that real-time feedback, this information and data, it the quicker they get it the quicker they can make the adjustments. So whether it was for that home service provider or whether it was for that executive, 
I guarantee you they would have rather known in that moment at that meeting that that was not the interpretation versus waiting 30, 60, 90, 180 days to find out that that was not their understanding. Yeah. So it gives you real-time information data. I, I equate it to a GPS system. And so, you know, if if you were, if we all use uh, GPS and, you know, even for your executive, I think everybody in the call can relate to this. I, I don't know how you are, Doug. I still use a GPS for places I know how to get to. I still do it. One, it's, it's going to be validation for me and the peace of mind that, okay, I'm going the right direction. Two, things could have changed. Road conditions could have changed, accident, construction, things like that. And communication and conversation is the same thing. So even if I think I know the person, I think I know something, just like my GPS, I check it. The second thing is, you know, if you're going the wrong direction, at what point would you want to know? Would it be before you left your house, before you got in the car, before you exited your development, before you got on the highway five miles in? Everybody answers, I want to know right away. Well, that feedback is your GPS. And so that's why I encourage you even informally to say, hey, we just chatted for about five minutes. Let me know what your takeaways are so that I know, am I on track right in this moment versus waiting to find out? Yeah. Well, I, I think you're right. And, and uh, following on with the story from my client yesterday, the, uh, the thing we did talk about is, is having a discussion about expectations. And it's one thing to say, here's my vision. Do you get it? Do you see it? Can you feed it back to me? And let's be sure we're aligned on the vision, you know, the big picture of where we're going. And I like your GPS analogy. And when you were describing that, I just had a very good example of that in my life last week. My wife and I took a two-hour drive over to her sister's house to celebrate a birthday and we know how to get there we've done it a hundred times you know but but we are routinely disrupted by road construction because a two-hour drive on state highways you know things happen and we were pleasantly surprised that a long stretch that had been painfully under construction for months was now wide open and completed and we just blew through it and breezed past you know and it there was a palpable feeling of anxiety just eroding, you know, evaporating. It was like, wonderful, this is great. So, and you know, you start getting into this the way it should be all the time, you know, blah, blah, blah. But anyway, I digress. Um, well, not really, if you don't mind me interrupting, because it was feedback from you, information and data to improve your performance for that trip. Yeah. So I think it's a perfect analogy. And you said you've been under road construction and conditions that change. But isn't that the human condition today? And you said, it's my sisters. We know how to get there. And there's a lot of times as leader, we know these people. They've been working for us for 5, 6, 10, 15, 20 years. And we make certain assumptions. And so things change in their life. And like you said, conditions change. I think more than ever, people's conditions are changing, right? Or staying the same. So I, um, I want to interrupt you, but I thought that was a great analogy of what feedback and the GPS, the, the, the parallels there. So go ahead. That was a great analogy. No, and, 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 and to play off of what you said, I think that's right. I think as leaders, we need to understand the, the dynamics of 
the people we think we know best on our teams, their lives are perpetually changing. And I even use the Maslow's hierarchy as a, as a framework for that. You know, Maslow says we go through various stages in our life, the, the most basic of which is the sense of safety and survival. You know, the bear's not going to eat us. It, it kind of goes throw throwback to the caveman days. You know, the saber-toothed tiger's not going to come get us. It's that sense of safety, and you have to have that secured before you can aspire to higher levels of existence and performance. And I won't go through the whole Maslow's hierarchy, but my point is, I argue that uh, the people that work for you are showing up, bouncing up and down Maslow's hierarchy almost daily. If if an employee had a bad exchange the argument with their spouse on the way out the door, their head's not going to be at work when they get there. They're not going to be dialed in. They're not going to be a focused. And if there's any aspect of a fight or flight thing going on, brain scientists tell us we lose all the blood flow to our frontal cortex, and that's where your critical thinking happens, and that's the part of the brain we need to do our work, regardless of what kind it is. And if if your brain chemistry has been disrupted because of an exter external event, you know, you're not going to be your best self. So when I say all that, sometimes I get clients with the eye roll, they go, oh, come on, man, this is all, you know, psychological mumbo jumbo. And I'm going, no, it's really true. Think about it. How many times have you said, golly, Jay doesn't seem himself today. I wonder what's going on. And, and that's a key indicator of, of what I'm describing as true. And, and, and it is a, a possibility and a high probability of that's exactly what's happening in your team if you're sensing that somebody's game is off for the day. I think it's going to approach another topic, so I hope it's okay, Doug. Sure, sure. I don't want to pretend like I'm an expert here. So as you listen, uh, some of you may have landed on this research or this information data. And, you know, you keep talking, Doug, about people. You're talking about emotions. And what that really is, is emotional intelligence. And, you know, for the listeners, just, and there's several definitions. So just if we're going to land on it, um, and one for our conversation. If you call it emotional intelligence, you know, simply your ability to identify and understand an emotion in yourself and others, and then adjust your behavior accordingly, that's exactly what you just articulated about a leader, people showing up. Maybe they had an argument with their spouse on the way. And people are going through a lot now. I mean, you know, in my lifetime, this is the most I've seen people have to 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 uh, navigate through. So whether you're making political choices or health choices or your, your work schedule choices, identity choices, religious, there's a lot going on. And I think for the leader today, this ability to leverage your emotional intelligence, your ability to identify and understand this emotion and adjust their behavior. And then you gave a great example of you know the frontal cortex and i believe if you can change where people are thinking you will change how they think and you articulated that if you can get them out of that emotional brain 
where it's not the saber-toothed tiger into this rational brain, that there's some opportunities in the relationship and the conversation. And, you know, it really drives home the question today is that what business are you in? And that's different from what industry you're in. It's a different answer. And I, I think everyone at some level based on this conversation could land that, you know what, we're, we're in the people business, we're in the engineering industry, we're in the home services industry, we're in the legal industry. There will be a direct correlation as a leader between how well you know people and, and, and how successful you are um, with people. And you, 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 I'm taking notes as we were talking because I get the same thing. People go, oh, it's a psychological mumbo jumbo. You don't say it's engineering mumbo jumbo. You don't say it's legal jumbo mumbo jumbo. If that's the correct term, sorry, Doug, if I mess up there. And so the question to ask yourself is for the success that you need and the agreements and the goals you need, how much of it's going to require your technical skills, whether it's engineering, you know, whatever it is, you could be a hair size, whatever uh, doctor, and how much is going to re this psychology, this understanding of people, because if you're in the people business, then you do need to know psychology, the science of human behavior. So I would imagine in our work, because it comes up for me too, is that they go, wow, this sounds like, you know, psychological mumbo jumbo feels like therapy. It's not, I mean, that's not my background. I don't know if it's your background. We do talk about psychology because we're talking about people. There'd be a direct correlation between how well you understand them and how successful you are. I'll I pause there. I get a little excited about this topic. No, I, I am with you and I, I do agree. And I think that is the prevailing call to action among leaders. I've seen it in all the feedback that I've been given access to since COVID. There is a clear and distinct shift in the mindset of the workforce that's showing up. And it really, to your point, it doesn't matter what industry or even what kind of business you're in. Everybody experienced the COVID lockdown in a different way, and they, they derived different conclusions about the future of their life and lifestyle what they're willing to tolerate from a boss, et cetera. And enlightened leaders are going to be aware of that. And I'll even go so far as to say sensitive to that. And when you start using words like sensitive, that's when some of the old school guys go sideways. And, you know, you still have the occasional my way or the highway kind of manager. And I won't even attach the word leader to that persona. Um, they might be manager by title, but just by making those statements, they're not leaders in my book. <laughs> uh, but that's another another show for another time. But what I do want to do with the time we've got, Jay, I want to go back to you alluded to the notion of creating a culture where feedback is is encouraged or feedback is uh, I forgot your exact word on it, but it, it encouraged, I guess, is what I'll stick with. Uh, tell us more about your thought about how you develop that kind of culture. Yeah, 
if you think about feedback, it could happen two ways we could focus on um, giving feedback or asking feed for feedback. So if you just categorize them that way, what I would invite you to do is if you have to prioritize them, that you build a culture of asking for feedback. So if you had to give me feedback, Doug, the studies have shown that just the word feedback, whether you're giving it or asking for it, it raises your blood pressure, just the word itself. And so one way that we could minimize some of the anxiety around giving feedback is what if I asked you for feedback? That instantly shifts the dynamic. It's given you permission, so to speak, and a comfort level. And so if we developed a culture, and it would start with leaders, and you, know, you gave an example of someone you're working with, of modeling what asking for feedback looks like. So one of the key things is, you know, in the workshop we talk about this, is what prevents you from doing it. And so generally uh, people don't know what they would do with the information. I think they perceive it, their thought is that it's good or bad. And most times they feel as though it's bad. And that's somewhat the way that we've taught them and wired them. Because when I ask in cultures, when do you get feedback? I get two responses, when something goes wrong or once a year in my review. And I think we need to shift that as well. But in any event, if it becomes part of the culture where you're sitting in a meeting, go, listen, we've expressed a lot of different perspectives and ideas. I just wanna go around the room. What, what have we agreed to today? And you said something, and I write about this uh, in my second book about expectations versus agreements. And it just seems like same word, different letters, so to speak. There's a difference. An expectation is something that I want you to do that you've not agreed to and may not want to do. An agreement requires both parties coming to this common place. And so the asking for feedback as a leader, so I gave you a couple of reasons why you wouldn't do it. One of the, the, the things that leaders are, are rewarded for is being right knowing the answer. And so there's a certain humility that's required, even when you know the answer to ask, well, give me some feedback on how my conversation was for you. Give me some feedback on how clear I was. Give me some feedback on how you would have done what I did requires humility. And so for the organization, if the leaders will begin to demonstrate this humility, be comfortable with it, maybe information and data that they're they don't like, doesn't mean it's not true. They can begin to model this for the culture where the culture now comes to their leaders and said, hey, you know what? We, we talked about this project. I, I believe I was clear on it. Can you give me some feedback on the execution, on the timing, on the attention to detail, on the members I had? And some of the things that I'm doing is the more specific your questions are for feedback, the more specific the data will be. So I'm throwing a lot at you. That's where I see an opportunity for organizations, especially small to mid-size, is the quicker the information they get it, the quicker they can improve their performance. And so if you develop a culture of open, honest, on-time communication, and they view feedback as just information data improve my performance for you, it doesn't even mean that's true, but if this is what you want as a leader. So let me pause there. I'd like to give you two examples, if that's okay. And one would be, uh, is, is a little over a year ago, maybe 14 months ago, I got fired by a client. And 
we, I've done work with their team. I was working one-on-one -on -one with uh, them. And the second session of one-on-one, -on -one, they said, you know, this is going to be your last one. They said, oh, you know, tell, give me some feedback on what drove your decision. They said, this really feels like therapy for us. And that's not what we're looking for. And so truth be told, Doug, I was, it didn't feel good. It never feels good to be fired. I don't want to mislead people that I don't have emotions. And so, you know, and they were nice about it. And it was on a Thursday. And so I had to take some time because it hit hard because my intentions were good. My strategy, I believed in. And I had even shared with them that this may feel like therapy. It's not. It's not my credentials, my experience. It will feel like psychology because a lot of it deals with human behavior. So I didn't do that in the moment with them because I didn't want to defend and explain. But afterwards, I just, I, I felt really bad and um, for myself, <laughs> selfishly. So as I looked at it, I thought, you know what, let me examine this. And I said, let me start from the beginning. Feedback. I asked for feedback and they gave it to me. Okay, we were in agreement. Everything was good there. Then I looked at the feedback and I thought, what was the disconnect? Because they gave me what I asked for. And then I quickly realized I didn't like the feedback. Yeah, huh. that's, that's interesting. What if I took the emotion out of it? And I thought, well, what can I learn from this? What can I take away from what they've shared? And that this may be their perspective. And so on Monday, I had another group. It's about a group of 12. And I asked the group, I said, listen, I recently got some feedback. And this is where vulnerability comes. And by the way, I'm not patting myself on the back. This is just something I had to learn for myself. And you said common sense. That's got to translate to common practice. So let me just make like, I knew to do this. I don't always do it. But I did ask the other group to get an additional perspective. I said, I got some feedback that our time together may feel like therapy. And they all smile. And I duck. I thought, oh my God, simultaneously, I'm going to get fired by 12 people. I don't know this has ever happened, you know? So um, I said, you're smiling. I said, tell me about that. They said, it does feel like therapy. And, you know, some other people chimed in. They said, how do you define therapy? They said this way, Jay, we got a problem. We talk about it and we walk away with the solution. And I said, how does what we do feel? They go, it feels like therapy. I said, how do you feel about it? They go, it's what we love about what we do. And so that's where my lesson came is that it was information and data from both people to improve my performance for both people. And it varied from person to person. I no longer needed to vet whether my work felt like therapy or not. It just, it varies from person to person. And so that, that's a business example of if you can remove the judgment and the thought. If it's okay, I'll give you a personal one too, because I, I think these concepts have universal applicability. So my wife and I were talking over Thanksgiving. So for anyone listening, uh, just a couple of weeks ago. And I don't know if you've had these moments. I turned to my wife confidently when I said this. I said, hey, babe, you think I love you? I've been married 34 years. And I was assuming the answer would be yes, right? She goes, um, I think you love me. I don't think you always like me. And I said, uh-oh, this conversation's going a different direction. Then she volunteered. She said, you know, I think sometimes you like yourself more than you like me. So you could see, Doug, this was a completely different direction. And it was just feedback. I asked her a question. And I 
you know, as I thought through it in that moment, just because I was, it was a casual kind of moment. Part of Jay would take that personal and then withdraw and not talk to her for three days. And by the way, I'm not recommending it for any listeners. I'm just saying we all have our default way of dealing with things we don't like to hear. And as I thought about it, I thought, you know, she didn't say as a bad husband or as a bad friend or as a jerk or anything like that. She just made a simple observation of this information and data. And I imagine that she shared it because it wasn't in a spiteful way, just to let me know what her perception was of how I show up at times. And it was helpful to me because we went about our day, didn't ruin anything, but I took the emotion and the judgment. By the way, I've heard things that are a different perspective from other people that find me altruistic, right, and caring. And so it doesn't minimize her opinion and it doesn't minimize anyone else's. It's just information data to improve my performance for that person. So I'm going to pause there. One business example to a personal example. You have to practice. I guess that would be the takeaway of me showing a personal and professional is that it becomes a habit when I no longer have to think about it. And what that means is that I have to practice this in all aspects of my communication. Thank you for listening. That was incredibly long. Thank you. Dan. Yeah, no, and thank you for sharing that. I, I think you're right. And, and I'm gonna maybe take it in a little bit of reverse order of what you shared there. Yes, I agree totally. It's when you, you as a leader or we as people seize on an opportunity to improve, it does take practice and and that's where the sports analogies parallel you know perfectly it's it, it it's like the golfer that hits a thousand golf balls out on the range after already playing 18 holes of golf mm. he knew there was something wrong he or she knew there was something wrong in their game that day so they go immediately to try to work it out and and work toward achieving a muscle memory that allows them to perform at the higher level almost literally without thinking about it and i contend and experience has proven me generally correct leadership is about human behavior and the more you as a leader can do to practice a discipline or an idea or a behavior on your own that'll have better outcome with and for the people around you, the more it too becomes muscle memory and you start acting and <clears throat> reacting to situations with a more positive outcome. And, and you can ultimately take the emotion and the, and the judgment out of it because you've already decided the behavior you want to strive for you've practiced and worked on the ways to do that and now when the moment happens it's seemingly automatic or sixth sense or whatever you want to call it and i i do believe on our topic today this whole idea of feedback i have definitely known leaders who are giants of building cultures of feedback. And it's just, it's incredibly natural and authentic in their persona to, you know, walk into a department and not only say, how are you doing today? But 
ask some questions that aren't exactly give me feedback, but it is feedback. <laughs> they're, they're asking questions, you know, how are we doing as a team? How's this project going? You know, and people have learned that that leader is genuine in asking those questions. It's not a trick question. They genuinely want to know if there's a roadblock that is bubbled up they need to know and want to know so they can help somehow plow through that roadblock and keep progress moving. And it's a, it's a very interesting dynamic when a leader can create that kind of environment for their team. And I, I know, you know, there's a famous study that's been written from Google about this notion of psychological safety and, and their, evaluation of high-performing work teams. A colleague of mine wrote a book about that and, and, and this whole idea of building trust at work. And I think that is ultimately what it comes down to. If the leader can perpetuate an environment of trust, then the communication can flow both ways without penalty and you then can ultimately have much more clarity, much more focus, <clears throat> far healthier understanding. And to your original point, ideally, people feel like they are growing in their work, they're learning, they're becoming their best self. And there is a sense of reward and pride and you know, accomplishment in being able to do that. You hit, a, for the listeners, upon a foundational piece when you reference trust. And I think you referenced a colleague of yours wrote a book on this. I, there, there's a book by Amy Cuddy. She's a social psychologist, I believe, at Harvard, and it's called Presence. And in her research, and this is global research, she said two, human beings seek out two things in every single interaction relationship, trust and respect. And, and by the way, just as a caveat, because I'm sure there will be some advanced listeners here, you alluded to Maslow's hierarchy and needs. The exception was when people didn't have food, water, or safety, that those, those things were important. But for uh, a majority of the world, respect and trust. And so respect could be a conversation on its own. And if time allows, I definitely have thoughts on that. But when you talked about trust, I think with feedback and you articulated it well, the key ingredient, the, the core ingredient is the trust you have in that person because you gave a great example of a person trying to understand why you're asking that question. Are you asking because you, are, uh, you truly want to help and understand? Are you trapping me? Is this gonna come back to haunt me? And then you alluded to, and this is what this is about, is this psychological workplace safety? And, and again, I, I don't want to disrespect the work. Just a, a minimal definition would be just simply people's uh, comfort level in expressing their thoughts and ideas without any negative consequences. And, and I'm oversimplifying it. However, to your point, if you don't feel safe, what does that do to new thinking, to creativity, to um, counter opposing thinking, to 
challenging commonly held beliefs. I mean, the things that we need to do to be successful and think through strategies. And so I think the more people understand trust in any work I do, I, there's two foundational components that will find its way into the beginning of the conversation. One is trust and the other is emotional intelligence. And you've keyed on those two things. And I think for people who are going to be leaders, and you talked about before, I, I think there is a difference between management and leadership. And some people may say it's semantics, and this may be oversimplifying it. I think if people are proficient at management and that being along the process and procedure and leaders around the people skills. And, and I think people can have a combination of certainly both. In the organization, I think it's important to understand that you are a leader, whether you want to or not. The question becomes, what kind of leader are you? Are people following you? So there's some other conversation there. And I, I want to pause there because I don't want to go off on a tangent. I just think you really nailed it when you talked about trust, psychological workplace safety, and then the productivity and the creativity that comes from that. Well, I want to, <clears throat> along that line, I, I want to share a story. I have shared it before on the show, but I think it's powerful and meaningful. I was doing uh, uh, a team workshop with some fairly senior executives at a large global brand, and we had done a team assessment, and we had the classic four blocker, and when we got the results, there was this cluster of dots up in the upper right-hand quadrant, which is arguably where you'd like to be as a team. But there was one dot way down in the lower left, just one little sole contender. And before we started the workshop to go over those results, the leader, the executive that was running that team, he, he called me in and he said, what should I do about this one dot? I said, you do nothing. I, I, I said, you can't go on a witch hunt. You know, I, I think it will self-declare and we can hopefully have a healthy discussion about it. And sure enough, when we went into the group meeting right away, you know, it was kind of like, all right, everybody turn to page one and we got the books open. One guy raised his hand and he said, I'm the dot. I, I'm going to self-declare, self-identify. I, I know I'm the outlier I, and all of this has really made me think he said, you know, in all humility, I'm going to say to the team, I think I need to transfer. I'm holding you guys back. This is obviously not working for us. And it's, um, you know, I, I don't want to be a stumbling block. I got a lot of ideas I know can be valuable somewhere else. And do you know, to the man, everybody else in that team said, absolutely not. Yeah. We value your contrarian ideas. It, it helps us think better about what we might otherwise be running over the cliff to do. And you always have a way of grounding us, making us understand the other side of the picture, getting that reframe perspective. And if, if you have, if, if we somehow have ever made you feel bad about what you try to stand for, we apologize right now. And we are horribly sorry if that has happened. But no, please do not think about transferring. We need you here for our work and what we're doing. And I mean, that was a heartwarming story. That was a golden moment. And, and these were... 
you know, some pretty high-powered leaders of this organization. When you tell that story, what was impeding the momentum, which drives companies, wasn't a technical issue. And this is why this conversation becomes so important. It had nothing to do with how technically good people were. It was about communication. It was about empathy. It's about emotional intelligence is what I, I take away. And I think the story that you told is just a great example of what's going on in business today and your ability to, to your credit, be able to identify it and understand it and then adjust your behavior accordingly is what's going to solve a lot of what's going on. And that's going to be the rocket fuel for whatever rocket ship, because I think there's a lot of great companies, a lot of great people with a lot of great ideas. That rocket ship's great. It's that fuel that they're missing. Yeah. Well, Jay, on that note, I think we're about up on our time here today. And I really appreciate your sharing with us and coming to sit in. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure for me. I always learn. Um, I, I think you could probably relate to it. Um, you get a chance to hear different perspectives and learn and grow. And if I quote anything that you say later on, please take it as a compliment. <laughs> That's yeah, absolutely. All I'd say. I learned at all these sessions. We're, we're all in this together uh, for sure. So Jay, tell folks the best way to get a hold of you if they're interested in connecting and, and learning more. Yeah, if you'd like to, probably the easiest way is you can go to the website, which is thejwco.com. So it's T-H-E-J-W-C-O.com. Uh, I don't have anything to sell you, but if you want to reach out and connect, um, I, I do a couple of things to connect. One is um, there's a video series and you can click on there. If people who've asked questions, and to the best of my ability, it's hard as a speaker, I try to, to at least give a, a new perspective on it within 60, uh, 90 seconds or so. Uh, or if you want to block out time, you can schedule time as well on there and, you know, made it hopefully very simple um, and easy for you to do. So it's the, T-H-E-J-W-C-O.com. And my commitment is I respond to every message within 24 hours. That's awesome. Yes. Well, again, thank you, Jay. Really appreciate you uh, sharing with us today. Yeah, thank and you. And with that, folks, we're going to wrap this up, uh, take off, and let you get back to your work. I do want to remind everybody, if you're listening on your favorite streaming service, we do have a video version of this over on YouTube, channel by the same name. And you, you've got to take a peek at the video. Jay has an amazing mural in his back wall uh, in the uh, camera lens here. And uh, I'm going to confess at a moment, I, as we were talking, I was looking at that again because I'm, I'm really inspired by that mural. And the thought that hit me is when we talk about leadership, there are so many layers to that onion. And uh, I, I think the mural is a, is a pretty amazing depiction of how it all interconnects and overlaps and, and blends together into what some may think is wild chaos, but if you if you know what the moving parts are and have worked hard to perfect and, and refine your ability to execute on that, it all comes together as a pretty interesting patchwork. So um, take a peek. It'll, it'll, you'll, you'll enjoy it. 
and and with that everybody we're going to say goodbye go out there make it a great day You've been listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense, hosted by Doug Thorpe. If you would like to know more about the coaching and advisory services he provides, visit DougThorpe.com.